Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Drawing Near to the Throne of Grace on deepening your prayer life. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Well, this is the third week on Drawing Near to the Throne of Grace, and the title tonight is The Practice and the Puzzle. We're going to talk first about the practice of prayer, and then we're going to go in a little bit more into Rhonda's question from the other week. Rhonda, right? On uh, how does predestination fit into all of this? And I'm going to try to discuss that with you. But before we do that, I wanted to just mention a couple of books. I guess the two authors that have most helped me in terms of my prayer life are E.M. Bounds, who was a chaplain in the Confederate Army back in the Civil War, and A.W. Tozier. And these are two very, very good books. E.M. Bounds on prayer, and A.W. Tozier, The Pursuit of God. So I just wanted to mention those. And then... Uh, these books called Operation World. It helps you to be able to pray specifically for any country in the world. So it's not as though you have to eat the whole thing, you know. You, may, you might have just start with one country. One country's more maybe than you've been praying for. So say, so, well, I, I happen to like Chile or Uganda or something. I'll just start there and pray for that. And then maybe God will lead me to pray for one more country. But it, it gives you up-to-date information on what's going on in that country and what, what it's got already done to praise Him for and maybe for each country, 10 requests, very specific requests, and you can just lift that up to the Lord. So it's very, very practical, very handy. Well, let's begin now. First, I want to just talk about some practical issues related to praying. Now, everyone is different. And if we went around, we could show those differences by saying, well, what kind of a person are you in the morning? What kind of breakfast do you like? Do you take coffee or tea? What do you like in your coffee? Each, and we'd have, uh, just like every snowflake is different, every person in here is different. And this also affects our prayer life. And so uh, the way one person prays and really, really enjoys it will never exactly fit you. But sometimes by hearing what helps a lot of people and that variety, you'll pick out a few things that are particularly helpful to you or things you'd like to try. And so that's why I'm just going to share some things tonight, not because you will necessarily be as fascinated as I am with it, but it could be that some of the things will give you some new ideas for your own time with the Lord. And the first thing I'd like to address is the issue of where. Where, for your prayer time, in Mark 1.35 it says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. He had a place where he went to pray, where he'd already thought, well, I, I'm not going to pray here in the house. I'll wake people up. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go out. We see him going up on the mountain to pray. We see him when in the, after the Last Supper. It says he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, as was his custcustom. We see in Acts 16, 13, without turning there, but it's, it's where Paul goes to Philippi, and he goes down by the riverbank. It says where they were supposing there would be a place of prayer. And sure enough, and there was women meeting there to pray. A place of prayer. Do you have a place of prayer? Or maybe you think, well, I just pray wherever. Normally the person that doesn't pray very much would say that. By having a specific time and a place, it doesn't mean you pray less. It's the same thing in cultivating your marriage relationship. You say, well, we never need to have a date or any special time because we're always together. That doesn't produce a greater depth. It, it results in more superficiality. The couple that will spend intimate times together, just the two of them, are also the ones that will talk more all during the day. And so this is not less, it's more. But having that special place where you've, decided, where you've thought about your life and your rhythm and everything, and say, Lord, where would that place be for me? Now, for some people, that's a very difficult thing to find in a very small house or, or with a lot of little children. At one point, I would just get up early and go out in the vacant lot next door in Costa Rica and hide behind the weeds in my little folding chair and my thermos of coffee uh, so Walt wouldn't wake up. 
But um, for other people, it might be uh, a shed. I had a tool shed that I converted into a place where I could just go out and, and pace up and down and pray and uh, not bother anybody in the morning. It might, some people, uh, if you have no other place, just go sit in the car or something. But some place where Jesus says, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. It's that secret time that, that nourishes all the other times of prayer during the day and your times if you ever meet with others to pray. So the issue of, of just finding a place and saying, Lord, I would just, and have a little prayer dedication. Say, Lord, this closet, now it serves as a closet, but we're also going to have it be our place. This is where we're going to meet. as a special place to meet with you. Uh, on your list there, you'll see I have coffee or tea. Make this in an event. Uh, this isn't just going to run in, tag, you know, do touch base, and say, well, we're glad we got that's over with. No, enjoy this. You know, let's, what do you like? Coffee, tea? You know, how do you take your coffee? Let's, let's, let's just enjoy the presence of the Lord. Let's meet with Him. Now, one thing that has made a huge difference in my life is using music. Now, for my first almost 20 years as a Christian, I was too scotch to spend any money on music. I thought, that's wasting money. I just want to buy books. And I wouldn't buy drinks. I'd just buy food. I was a you know, college student. And so I would just always order water and then buy food. But as I began to grow in prayer, uh, I realized that music could have an effect on my soul like coffee can have on your body. It, uh, it can wake you, up, wake you up and help you to establish a mood of being open to the Lord. Music particularly helps me because I am so easily distracted. I'm sure most of you don't have that problem. But I think I was whatever they think that is, A-D something or other, A-D-B-C, A-D-H-D. And, uh, and they didn't have a name for it back then, but I remember being drugged down to the principal's office for not paying attention in second grade and him shaking my, almost shaking my head off. So I found that by using a, a, a Walkman and headphones, I check out. Now, we have problems sometimes in my marriage because of that, but when he says, we're going to bury you, if you come to my funeral, check to see if they put my headphones on. But when I go into my time with the Lord, I, I put on some praise music, and it really makes a difference. You may, you may need just silence. So I'm not saying do it this way. I'm just saying if you happen to be a distracted person, give it a try and find the kind of music that really ministers to you. You will know the difference. Some music, you think, well, I don't like that. You know, that's either too peppy or too slow. I need something kind of peppy because I'm kind of have low blood pressure in the morning. I need something to kind of get me going. But you may need something to calm you down. But you'll know. So that's all related to the place. Where are you going to pray? And making it, making it special. Making it special. Secondly, when to pray. When to pray. Uh, we see people uh, praying in the morning. In fact, that's probably the most common time if you look down through the ages. Men of God, they may pray many times during the day. But just about in every case, they start the day with prayer. And in Exodus 34, 2, I think we read this our first evening together, but he says, So be ready by morning, God talking to Moses, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. What an invitation. Wow. I mean, can you imagine God telling you, Lee, be ready by the morning and come up to that secret place that you prayed about yesterday, you dedicated to me, come up, I'll meet you there tomorrow morning. Be ready in the morning. I didn't used to think I could do it in the morning. Uh, I'm, some of y'all probably just wake up, bingo, you know, but I, I, since I, I guess at six, six years old I was that way, but uh, ever since I haven't been. And I thought, well, I just can't do this in the morning. This is just, and one summer I, I uh, had to be at work at 7.15 in the morning. So I thought, well, that's that. I won't be able to have a time with the Lord in the morning. But right then I listened to a message on, on having a time each morning with the Lord. I got so convicted, I thought, well, I, I can't not do it now. So I, I had my place. I was going to go out on the balcony. I had, a, I had a yogurt. I figured I'd need everything I had, could do to get me awake. You know, my coffee, my yogurt, my chair, my notebook, 
my Bible, and I had the most wonderful times that summer with the Lord. That, that sacrifice of the morning where you lift that up as a first fruits of the day to the Lord. God will bless that. But you may be a person that you, you can try that and try that and it still doesn't work for you. Well, that's okay. That's the wonderful thing about grace. You don't have to do this to, for Him to be happy about you. He already loves you. Maybe you feel like the time the Lord's given me, my best time, because that's what we want to do. We want to offer up our best time to Him. And just because somebody else does it one way doesn't mean you've got to do it that way. So others uh, really prefer the evening time. That's the time when they can really be quiet, quiet their heart, and be undistracted with the Lord. Psalm 63.6, uh, David mentions that. Psalm 63.6, he says, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. That's how they keep track of time at night. It was divided into three or four periods of time. I think they'd have the watchman would call out. So if you happened to be awake, you'd hear him when he'd say, well, second watch of the night or something like that. And uh, David was saying, well, I, I think about you. I commune with my God in the evening. So that may be your time. We bring to God the best we have. And there are times when all you have to give if you're a mother of small children is like the widow's might. You may just catch a 60-second here or something like that. And other times of your life, you will have more time. But what you need to realize is God doesn't measure it by how long it is, but by how much it costs you. And so if even a little bit costs you a lot, you should be very encouraged that, well, to God, that's a lot, because he knows I have almost nothing. And uh, that's your sacrifice. That's your widow's might. And he'll bless it. He said, he said about the widow's two cents, he said, she gave more than all these others that put in lots of money because she put in all that she had. And so we want to release all the mothers of little children that the Lord will take anything you'll give him as far as prayer time. Later on in life, you'll have more time. But he loves it when we are willing to make that sacrifice for him. Third, we've talked about where to pray, when to pray, what to do when we pray. These are things you pretty much know, but I just wanted to give you a very simple illustration. Because sometimes if you, if you say, well, there are these five or ten things to do when you pray, you may be a complicated kind of a person, but I can't even remember them all if you tell me five. I could, when I took five subjects in college, I could never remember them all to name them. I could only remember four at a time. So I'm just going to give you two parts of prayer and then explain it. One is uh, praise and the other is petition. And I want to illustrate it because some people say, maybe you've heard this, some people will say, oh, it's better just to praise the Lord. We're not, God's already given us so much. We should just be grateful. We're not going to go asking Him for more things. That's not right. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Now, help me. We're going to go through the Lord's Prayer and phrase by phrase, and you tell me each phrase. Is it praise or is it petition? Our Father which art in heaven. Praise. Hallowed be thy name. Praise. That's may your name be sanctified. That's already a petition. <coughs> may your name be sanctified. Thy kingdom come. Petition. Thy will be done. Petition. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. <laughs> and forgive us our debts. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. And the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now you could do thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, make it three and kind of even it out a bit there. But I want, what I want you to notice is God teaches us to ask. Don't ever let anyone say, oh no, it's even more holy not to ask. It's not true. It's not biblical. He said, I want you to ask. He draws us through our admiration of him and through our need of Him. It's both and needs to be strong. Next week we'll talk only about praise and thanksgiving and the following week or weeks we'll talk about petition. I'll, so I'm just touching on it tonight. But when we have this time of praise, that's why I like the music. I just walk around. I'm just trying to get out of all the other things I'd be thinking about and I just want to focus on Him. It's amazing how much God just would really like your attention 
sometimes. That's one of the problems when we have too many things that we're going to do in our time with him. We're kind of so distracted with our list and, and our, our stuff, you know, and, and if he ever said boo, we'd probably jump right out of our skin. We forgot we were meeting with somebody. I thought I was just doing my thing here. And, uh, and he says, hey, hey, here I am. Hey, can we talk? And we believe that, uh, that the Lord has spoken to us in his word and that by the Holy Spirit, he also makes clear to us, he applies that word to our hearts. One of the things that's helped me is to have a notebook and take notes, expecting that God's going to lead me in the knowledge of him. And there was one period of time in Costa Rica where I really felt like I had just focused so much on reading the Bible and marking the Bible that I really wasn't getting to know God. I was being able to check off the box. I did whatever it was I was supposed to do, but somehow I was missing him, the person. That was supposedly the point of the whole thing, you know. So I thought, well, maybe we'd better just kind of call a halt to this, and, and I'm just going to show up each morning with my Bible and my notebook and just kind of wait. Now, maybe that sounds, doesn't sound very Presbyterian, does it? But anyway, um, it was more just to, to try to focus on that God is a person, that he's real, that he's present, and that he wants me to get to know him. And so for about three months, I would just have that time and that place. This was out in our little front porch in Costa Rica. And I would show up and I'd say, well, Lord, if you lead me, I'll open my Bible. Or if you, what do you want to do? Should we pray? Or I'll just sit here and be quiet. But some of the most wonderful things I learned about the Lord were during that period of time. As the thought would come in, well, why don't you read in this psalm or something like that? Or, and just to focus on God and ask the question, Lord, who are you? Who are you? Instead of just racing through my activities or a prayer list. So your time getting to know God, it'll go through different seasons. You know, I did that for three months. I've done it for 20 years. Just try different things. But to have this aspect of just focusing on the Lord is so wonderful. You might, might pray a psalm to him. Just read a psalm and say, Lord, I'll just pray in the words of this psalm, a word of praise to you. And one thing that's helped me in, in prayer and praise is, is to just know it. Nobody else is listening anyway. Just try to be creative in the sense of, uh, only in the sense of, I just never try to pray the same way twice. Uh, that's a, a function of my personality. So, I mean, if you're more of a get it right and perfect it, the Lord bless you. If I say the same thing too many times, I check out mentally. I'm somewhere else. And I was raised Episcopalian. Poor me, but anyway, <clears throat> where I still have all the prayers memorized. I enjoy them now, as a matter of fact, but, but uh, praying creatively, just, just, just talk to the Lord. i never forget a friend of mine who'd, who'd led a guy to Christ, and, and they, they met the next time, and, and he says, well, well Joe, would you, why don't you just have a word of prayer? And he says, you know, me? And, and so he really was kind of nervous, and so he, he bowed his head, and he says, um, um, uh, Jesus, a um, uh, 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 God, um, uh, 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 or Lord. Um, my name's Joe, and I'm kind of new, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you know me yet, but uh, and but just so fresh, so wonderful. The picture that comes to me, I want you to think about that two-year-old, maybe a, a child or a grandchild, and they're just starting to talk. Isn't that the most wonderful thing? Don't you wish? If your child is older than that, don't you wish you'd recorded more? We have Walt quoting John 3.16 when he was like, what, two years old or something? Where's Wendy? Well, two years old. And it, it is so wonderful. I just wanted to play that tape again and again because he says it just right. No, that's the whole point. He doesn't. But it's just so fresh to hear it out of the voice of a child. Now, don't you think the Lord is the same way? That he just wants to hear your heart. He's not expecting you to come up with this huge, great thing. It's oh, fine if you do. He, it's all the same to him. He wants to hear something that's really you. And that's nice, because that's who you do best, is you. And then petition. 
and knowing that I am, I am asking because God told me to ask. This isn't me just barging in and saying, well, I, I need all of these things. No, no, we're just going to enjoy this just like a child would run in and say, oh, I'm so hungry. And mom says, well, great, we got a great snack here for you today. How children make their, their needs known. For me, I like to think of my time in prayer as the most active time of my life. That all the rest of my living is kind of like this. But in my prayer time, that's where I really live. Now, again, these are just little tidbits, but uh, may not help you. But for a distracted person, uh, thinking in terms of this is where I'm most alive. I'm in touch with heaven. And this is where more things are going to happen than at any other point during my day. To remember that nothing is too difficult for God. That he raises the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. A pastor one time uh, shared with us that one day he was just feeling so burdened for Uganda. This was back in, I guess, in the 80s. And the genocide and all these terrible things going on. And he just felt in his, in his heart, this is just so awful. And he felt compelled to, in, in his study, just call out to the Lord. He, he must have prayed, you know, 20 minutes. Praying for Uganda and asking God to have mercy. And so many people, you know, running out in the jungles, hiding there for three or four days so that they wouldn't get killed. And uh, he finished his prayer. And the next morning he, was, he got to the office and, and he happened to see there was a newspaper out on the desk. And the headlines were, Idi Amin flees for his life. And that was the regime change in Uganda. The very day after he prayed. Don't you know he prayed the next time with great, great faith. <laughs> but God is a great God. And when we get to heaven, we're going to realize it was a whole lot more true than I thought. And I wish I'd have believed more. Position, point four. What is the spiritual position in which to pray? Should we kneel? Should we lie down? Should we stand up? Is it wrong to sit? 1 Samuel 16, 7. Um, why don't we look at that? This is when David is being chosen for the anointing. And it says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. And so the thing that should occupy our attention is getting our heart right. Uh, kneeling hurts my knees so bad, there's a little confession time here, that I'm just thinking about my knees, you know? And so the point was to pray, not to suffer. I mean, it's okay to suffer, but uh, it, he, since he didn't say you have to kneel, I usually don't. I find that uh, walking up and down helps me. Now I need, you know, I need a little bit of room, so I have to have a room that's about at least three paces. Sometimes you may feel like lying down. That's why you need to be all by yourself, so that you're not thinking about, well, what are they going to say? They're seeing me. They're going to think I'm crazy or something, or Mother Teresa. But you have to be where you can change the position, either stand up or sit down, or whatever helps you to concentrate on the Lord. Again. For me, what, pacing up and down helps me remember this is really active. I'm not just uh, kind of taking five. This isn't a coffee break. We're, we're here to move mountains, change continents, raise the dead, and call out on the Lord. And so I think just giving yourself that freedom that whatever would express a reverent, fervent heart that that would honor the Lord. And if you are a kneeler, keep kneeling. That's wonderful. Uh, maybe I'll get there someday. But in the meanwhile, whatever position most helps you. Well, I'd like to move on to the second part of our talk tonight on the puzzle of prayer. Because I want to talk to you about a puzzle. We had fun doing this the other night. And uh, we were given a puzzle. Would anyone like to guess what this puzzle is of? Maybe you got kind of an idea there. Tiles and squares of some sort. Any other, any other suggestions? Come on now. Sky, good, okay. Now, uh, this is a similitude. And 
this is uh, based on Deuteronomy 29.29. Let's look at that. And it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. Now what he's telling us there, there is that all that we have in the Bible is true truth, but it's not exhaustive truth. He did not answer every question. He did not deal with every topic. He revealed truth selectively and purposefully. He tells us why he revealed the things that he revealed. It says, The things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. Why? That we may observe all the words of this law. It doesn't say that we may know or that we may answer our questions, although they will answer some questions, and we will know some things. But he says, that's not principally why I'm telling you this. As someone once said, God didn't give us the Bible primarily to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. And this puzzle is a picture of how God has revealed certain pieces of a larger picture in the Scripture. Now, what is theology? Theology is where you look at all the pieces and you try to see if there's any that will fit together. Now, we've been able to fit the pieces together of a face that we figure is Jesus. If you see the whole box, you'd know it would be. But you see, the Lord says He hasn't revealed us everything, so I'm just kind of don't want to give it all away. And down here, what do you see? Those are people. What are they doing? Can you tell what they're doing? Okay, they're sort of looking up and uh, sort of in prayer. She's got her hands clasped, and this guy's telling others to come. This guy's kind of going the other way. Oh, okay. He, he doesn't even have the things revealed. <laughs> okay. So for the people on the tape who can see even less, we have we put some of the pieces together and we've got up in the top left, we've got a picture of Jesus, some of the pieces. And then in the bottom right, we have a picture of people and it looks like they're responding to God. Now, again, when we have a puzzle, if we don't have all the pieces, we can just put together the pieces that we can and we need to realize that there's probably going to be, there's going to be a blank sp space in there where we don't have any pieces. Now that would be pretty frustrating if you had a puzzle, wouldn't it? Well, and it's pretty frustrating to us sometimes when we have questions like, well, are there people on other planets, or, or uh, what, what happens to, to babies if they die at birth? There are a lot of questions that very specifically uh, aren't, aren't answered. Uh, what does God think about marijuana? I asked, I asked somebody at USC one time, I said, well, what, what do you think God's will is for your life? And he said to keep the Ten Commandments. And I said, well, good, you know, what are they? And he thought and thought and thought, and he said, well, um, don't smoke marijuana. <laughs> well, I'll have to reread my Bible. I missed that one. <laughs> but, uh, and so there are two temptations at this point. Follow me on this. There are two temptations. One is to invent more pieces and try and draw it in, but it's things we don't know. Or to assume we have all the pieces and try and force them together. And neither of those actions would be appropriate. God says on purpose there are certain things I haven't told you. But the things I have told you, I've told you for a reason and don't miss it. Let's move to point two the point of purpose. I want to use a second illustration now. Picture a rifle. Picture a rifle in a stand. It's, uh, let's see, what are we going to aim it at? Well, just say we're going to aim it at this plant here, okay? So we've got the gun here. It's already pointed at that. And all the person has to come and do is pull the trigger and it'll shoot the plant off the piano. I believe that what, what God is telling us here in Deuteronomy 29.29 is that everything he has selectively revealed to us 
it was to obtain a certain end. There was a purpose. All of his truths have, are aimed at certain things. And when he tells us about his sovereignty, he isn't telling us that just to satisfy our curiosity. He's telling us that because he wants us to th think about him in a certain way, and he's got a reason why he wants us to think about him that way. Why do you think God would want us to know that he's sovereign? That he's in control? Okay, so we would rely on him. I mean, if he's not in control, why are we going to bother praying to him? If he's, if he's in sovereign control, so God has revealed who he is and how he's in sovereign control so that every time we think of him, this truth is always aimed at God. You'll never see this truth expressed with a different aim. Since God's in control, you can do whatever you want, doesn't matter. Won't make a bit of difference. Fatalism. It's already determined, que sera, sera, you just go do whatever you want to do, it won't make any difference. God never says that. You, you read the whole Bible, you won't ever find that. Whenever the truth is revealed and expressed, God is in sovereign control, He is the King of the universe, He does whatever He pleases. It's so that His children can relax and rest and trust and not worry all the time. Dad's got it all under control. There are no panic buttons in heaven. There are never any angels running around ringing bells and, oh no, there's something we didn't think of. And this is just out of our reach, you know. He says, no, perfect calm in heaven. And we can enter into that calm in our own lives because he's in sovereign control. Now there's another truth that's revealed that man is responsible. That we have a free choice and that we will be held responsible for our choices. And that truth is never expressed in terms of because we have a free choice and because we can make decisions, then God's hands are tied. He can't do anything. It never aims that truth up at God. It's always aimed at us. It says, as far as your life goes, think about this. What you reap, you will sow. You do not have because you do not ask. Ask and you will receive cause and effect. That's always aimed at us. So the truths he reveals about him have a particular point. There's an aim to it. Trust me. Rest in me. The things that are revealed about us and our responsibility to make right choices, he says, I'm not kidding. This is true too. Now you may not understand how the two work together. And he says, if you took the top off of that watch, you'd realize when you look at all the pieces in that watch, you think, this is a lot more complicated than I thought. And somehow he worked it out where he was totally sovereign and in control and where we were totally, in a sense, free and responsible. And I, I never would have figured that one out, but look, in heaven he'll show us one day. But what's the problem in the meanwhile? If you sit down at a table and there's a, a knife and a fork and a spoon and the person next to you picks up his knife and says, ha, huh, a knife, stabs it in you. He said, wait a minute, that's not what that knife was there for. <laughs> that was to put butter on your bread or to cut your meat, not to stab the person sitting next to you. Listen, we do that sometimes with the truth of predestination and the sovereignty of God. We pick that up and we say, and we stab our prayer life and say, well, it doesn't matter if I pray. God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. That's not what God says. On the one hand, we can say God is in complete control and all His purposes will be fulfilled and nothing can thwart, can thwart His plan. But if I take that knife and, and point it over at me and say, well then, fatalism doesn't matter, won't make any difference. Is it? No, no, no. You've just stepped out of biblical truth. Both of these things are true. I can't explain it. I'm just saying there's a lot of blank space in here between the two. But we must embrace both. Let's look at the scriptures now so that you'll... I want to illustrate what I'm talking about from the Bible itself. Because we must embrace both of these truths at the same time. Daniel 4.17, In order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. Psalm 135.6, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the depths. Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Isn't this thrilling? John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. John 6, 44, 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Acts 4, 27 and 28. Watch the interplay here. For truly in this city there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And Ephesians 1.11, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. Isn't that fabulous? That is our bedrock. That is our reinforced cement on which we stand and in which we can fully rest. But that's not the whole thing that he's told us. He's also told us that man is completely responsible. And these verses are just as true as the other verses. He says to Cain, in Genesis 4, 7, he says to Cain, he doesn't say, doesn't matter what you do, it's all the same anyway. Listen to this. Watch this. Watch these ifs through here. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. So Cain, don't come telling me, oh, this is predestination. God, it's all your fault. That's the way I'm the way I am. No, no, no. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. You must master it. If you do well, your countenance will be lifted up. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. God is not playing games. Somehow, this is just as equally true as the other. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. 1 Samuel 12, 15, And if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Again, the if, the cause and effect. You do this, this will happen. You don't do this, and this other thing will happen. 2 Chronicles 7.14, you probably know that by heart or can sing it. If my people are called by my name. Again, an if clause. He doesn't say, oh, whatever you do, it doesn't matter. I've already decided it all. Don't bother. He says, no, you must call out on the Lord. Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom, and then all these things will be added to you. Luke 13.3, I tell you, but no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Cause and effect, and the most... Obvious one, Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. James 1, 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. Any approach to theology that results in a prayerless life needs to be re-examined. If we allow our exalted view of God to result in a sterile prayer life in us, we took a wrong turn somewhere. Not because God is not sovereign, but because of the things He's very clearly told us related to our lives. And He says, it does make a difference. It makes all the difference. I was thinking today, if you came up to a, maybe an eight-year-old little boy and, and, and who loves playing spaceman and has a space shuttle and says, um, we'll just call him John. John, there's going to be a launch in a week down at Cape Canaveral. And uh, they've, they've picked you, of all the little boys in the United States, to get to push the button to send the space shuttle into outer space. Well, he'd just about fall over. I mean, this is just a dream come true. I mean, me, I, I, you mean I get to push the button that would launch the space shuttle? Yep, you get to do it. Now, what if he says, well, if I don't go, will somebody else do it? I mean, they won't be able to launch it because I'm not there to push the button. No, we'll find somebody else. But would you want to miss that privilege? That's what prayer is. We, we, get to, we get to come out on the stage and be part of it all. Yeah, you can sit off in your, your room and not do anything. But God invites us into his eternal activity. He's determined he will do this through people. He will work through his children. And when you step into prayer... In this praise and petition, it's like stepping into this huge river of the activity of God. And He begins to work through your life to work His wonders. I've often wondered, well, what, Lord, isn't that making it difficult? Have you ever tried to change a tire with a two-year-old or, or bake cookies with, with a three-year-old? It goes a bit slower, doesn't it? And I think, well, Lord, you'd probably do better just without our help, you know? Uh, we kind of probably mess things up. But I think... Uh, 
one of the things that, that we see through the scriptures is that God created us to have a choice. He created us to be in partnership with Him. And the whole universe fell out of favor with God. Why? Because of our desire and our decision. Man decided, I don't want God's word and God's way. He turned his back on God, ate the fruit, and has lived in rebellion. And if God just said, well, I don't care what you say. I'm just going to grab you and pull you back to Eden. What could the devil say? He says, well, they went away from you by their free will. You had to force them to come back to you. You had, to, you had to make them come back. See, they don't love you. They just love me. And I think the Lord said, Okay, Satan, I'll wait till they want to come back. Now, somehow God also sovereignly works things out so that because of Him in some way, we want to. But it's still our free choice. I can't explain this. But the point is, there's tremendous value to God that it's through our desire and our decision. We say, I choose Him. And that's the way back to the Garden of Eden, back to fellowship with God, back to honoring God. And God can say, see, they came of their own desire and their own decision. We honor the Lord. Every time you pray, it's honoring God. It says in heaven, the only thing they're collecting up there, they don't collect stamps, they don't collect old shoes or watches. It says there are these golden bowls where they collect the prayers of the saints. E.M. Bound says, no prayer is ever lost. Your prayers never die. They stand living eternally before God until every prayer is somehow answered. That thrills me because so many times in prayer I'm thinking, well, I'm just kind of, I don't know, just saying words and, and doing my time. But to think that that is the most, one of the most precious commodities in the universe is every prayer you have uttered from your heart. It really Trust me, it really makes a difference. Let's go over these verses. And, and, and as we look at these verses on prayer, as far as this is a more specific area of our responsibility, we looked at in general that God says cause and effect. Don't ever let yourself be deceived. What you sow, you will reap. And he says very specifically some things about prayer that we need to start believing and putting into practice. Psalm 2.8 Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Have you asked God for a nation? Here he says, go ahead, ask me for a nation. Ask, me, ask of me, and I will surely give thee the nations as thine inheritance. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me, and I will answer you. He said, well, what if I don't call to you? He says, well, I won't answer you. Call to me and I will answer you. The only thing requisite here to set the whole thing in motion is that one little word there, call. Because then it's a promise, two promises. What are his promises? Call to me and I will answer you. Is there any way he won't do it? No way at all. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you or show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now talk about having some more excitement in your life. Matthew 7, 7. He doesn't say, oh, don't bother to ask. You're always coming asking things. He says, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and the verb is continuous. Seek, and keep on seeking, and you shall find. Knock, and keep on knocking, and it shall be open to you. We honor God by persevering in prayer. Matthew 21, 22. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. John 14, 13 and 14. And whatever you ask in my name, look at that word, look at it, whatever. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now I'm going to tell you a quote that I'm going to tell you again later on just because it's such a good one. By Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher in the 1800s. But he said, when we say that God answers prayer, we do not mean by that that God always gives us literally the thing that we have asked from Him. But we do mean this. When He withholds from us what we have asked from Him in silver, it's only that He might bestow it upon us in gold. When He withholds from us what we have asked from Him in silver, it is only that He might bestow it upon us in gold. And there are times when we... Because of our limited understanding, we pray according to what we see. We can't pray according to things we don't know. 
And so we take our best aim. We're sort of like uh, people with a gun and they can't see real well. And we're, so we're just trying to aim, you know. And it's, we think it's over there. And the Lord knows it's over there. But he says, oh, shoot, anyway, you know. And, and so we fire. And you know those verses in, in Romans 8 says, but we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for utterance. I think the Holy Spirit translates that prayer into where it really needed to go. The problem is we're looking there and the bullet never seemed to hit. And we thought, oh, the thing is not loaded. It doesn't work. We'll get to heaven and we'll find out that every true prayer was answered. And if it wasn't answered the way we prayed it, something different and better was affected. That's my faith. Because it's what he says. Whatever you ask. Now, this, you can't lose with this, friends. You either get what you ask or you get better than what you asked for. There are no duds when you pray in faith. John 15, 7, I love this one. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. This is much better than the magic lamp and the genie, I'm, I tell you. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. John 16, 23 and 24, truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Do you think he's lying? Is he, this is just a game. Is this a joke? Like, he's, do you want a chocolate? Oh, so, you know, you're not going to get that chocolate. Um, just playing with you. God does not lie. And if we would get to the point where we would believe him, we would see a lot more. You see, the Lord also says, be it done to you according to your faith. And I came to a point in my life where I realized, well, I wasn't seeing anything. And then I reflected, well, how much were you believing God for? What did you ask him for? Well, Little or nothing. Well, what are you seeing? Little or nothing. You know, real smart, you know, engineering major and everything. Put two and two together. Hey, you know, there's a coincidence here. You have not because you ask not. Listen. Listen to this. When you get to heaven, you want to have as your goal when you get to heaven that God will say, you asked me for too much. I didn't think it was possible, but you did it. You prayed for too much. We couldn't, we couldn't pull it off. Because most of us will hear this, so much more you could have asked. Why didn't you? When in doubt, ask. Try to ask too much. I'm asking God every day for the salvation of every single one of my extended family, about 80 people. I don't pray. I don't mention all their names every day. I just say, Lord, the Bible says you should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you should be saved, you and your house. Now, some people trans interpret that one way and others think that if you believe in the Lord, you can claim your whole family. I, I don't know, but just in case that that means I can trust you for my whole family, I'm going I'm to trust you for all of them. I want to see them all in heaven. And, uh, and if they're not, I'll ask you why. But uh, I've, you, won't, you won't be able to say, well, you never asked me. Uh, well, I asked. Ask him. And Jeremiah says, is there anything too wonderful for me? Anything too big? There's so many things that we, we have. We have wishful thinking. We have lamentations, but we don't turn them into prayer. We think, oh, isn't this terrible, this situation? Oh, we're in this poor person here, and oh, uh, we have this need. But have you brought it to the Father and say, Lord, I, I don't know if this is what's best, but you said pray according to the best I can aim this thing, and this looks like what would be good. I'm asking you for this. And trusting you that if it's not that, somehow it's something better. Don't you see how that draws you into fellowship and dependence on the Lord and strengthens you? And James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask. But look at the last part of this, John 16, 23 and 24. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Isn't that wonderful? That that's what the Lord's objective is. Now, he could just already dump it all on you. you every one of you here has known a spoiled child. Maybe you were a spoiled child. A spoiled child is miserable. 
they had everything without even having to do anything for it or ask or ever say thank you. And God says, well, I don't want you to be like that. We're going to work out a different thing. I still want to meet all your needs. But he says, I want you to recognize you have a need, look up to me and say, Father, help. I need you again. And then I'll give it to you. And then we'll both be happy. You'll feel like, you'll realize how much I love you because you call and I answer. And I'll know you're depending on me because whenever you have that need or a need, you come. You may be single. You say, well, Henry, I'm just struggling with, with loneliness. Have you asked the Lord to fill up that loneliness? Turn these thoughts into prayers. Write them down. Why? So that afterwards uh, you can show people, I prayed this and the Lord did this. There was a time in, in Argentina where we could tell we needed a, a house to buy a house because we could no longer afford to rent. And I was, I was pacing up and down praying in the living room and all of a sudden I, I, I stopped and I was looking at the invitation to our wedding which had a verse on it, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. I thought, well, I hadn't thought of it that way. I thought, well, you know it would be too, you know. And I thought, well, but just in case. Uh, just in case, I'll, I'll just claim that, that the Lord will provide a house for us. And, and miraculously, because we couldn't get a loan, out of the blue, the Lord provided a friend of mine right at that period of time with an inheritance of $100,000 that he loaned us so that we could buy that house. And before that, somebody said, well, well how's this thing with the house coming? I said, all we know is we can't make, uh, get a loan here or back in the United States. And so, but ask me in a couple of months, we'll have a house and I'll tell you how the Lord did it. And sure enough, within a couple of months, we already had the house and, uh, we, you know, we pay, had to pay on it every month, but, but there had been no way. We had like $1,000, and we bought a house. Ask, and you will receive. Believe it. He has said it. He cannot lie. Let's pray. Lord Zechariah 12.10 says, And I will pour out on, this, on the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Please, Lord, pour out that spirit. Lord, we don't want to pray because we feel guilty or any of these things. We want to pray because it's our oxygen, it's our life, it's our link to you, it's our joy. And it brings us to you and totally changes our lives. Grant us that grace to, to learn to pray and to really, really love it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.